0: You're listening to Senior RX Radio, brought to you by ASCP. Visit us online at ascp.com slash podcast. ASCP, empowering pharmacists, transforming aging.
1: Welcome to Senior RX Radio. I am Dr. Jaron Stout.
0: And I am Dr. Joanne Payo, and we are your hosts of Senior RX Radio.
1: We are recording live at the ASCP Conference and Annual Meeting in San Diego, California, 2021.
0: Today, we have Dr. Andrew Zullo and Dr. Shelley Gray. They presented the Deprescribing Cardiovascular Medications, Embedding Interventions in Routine Clinical Practice. And
1: that's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? It is. <laughs> <laughs> and first of all, I would like to congratulate Shelley Gray for winning the George Arshambault's award this year. That was an awesome accomplishment. Well done. Thank you. And then we uh, just wanted to kind of touch base on what, I mean, obviously talking about cardiac drugs and deprescribing, let's just kind of touch base and make sure we're on the same page of what those cardiac drugs are. Are we talking just hypertensives or are we talking like anticoagulants, antiplatelets? Where are we going there?
2: Yeah. So the focus of this session is on cardiovascular medications because they are very prevalent in older adults. And they pose unique challenges for deprescribing. And so cardiovascular medications include several different types of medications, those used for hypertension, for elevated lipids, or for heart
1: failure. Okay, so it's a broad range then. Yes. And can you explain the importance of deprescribing?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So as Dr. Gray just said, we know that older adults on quite a number of different medications. And often cardiovascular drugs uh, make up a large proportion of their overall medication burden. And the key sort of issue that we're grappling with right now is that a lot of older adults care more about function, quality of life, having a small medication burden to manage. And so uh, the question is, do these medications they're taking for their various cardiovascular conditions actually optimize those goals? Is it in line with what they care about? And we know that these drugs have benefit and they, you know, absolutely are helpful for traditional endpoints. But I think there's an open question for older adults, especially those who are multimorbid or closer to end of life, whether these medications are really necessary and helpful for the goals that they hope to optimize.
0: So in your research, what results were seen when you deprescribed these medications, like the statins or the blood pressure medication?
3: Yeah. So generally, there's not a whole lot to observe. (laughs) Luckily, a lot of the adverse effects of withdrawing these different cardiovascular medications are fairly minor. For example, with beta blockers and ACE inhibitors, there might be some small increases in blood pressure, for example. But this is expected and manageable. And clinicians can slow down the rate that the drug is being withdrawn, in other words, deprescribed. And that often will allow the older adult to have time to physiologically adapt. And so for the most part, this is really safe to do.
0: And then you also mentioned with the statins, when you deprescribe it. It doesn't increase mortality.
3: That's exactly right. So we have some pretty good evidence on statins. Dr. Gene Kuttner and colleagues did a trial in which they actually found that there was no increase in mortality when stopping statins. And this was particularly among individuals with advanced life-limiting illness. And
1: as far as statins go, just a quick follow-up question. I think one of the issues I run into is... Family, they hear that you want to get rid of their cholesterol medication. They immediately assume that's like the worst thing you could do. What is a good way to maybe educate family members on helping to them to understand that it's really an irrelevant need at this point? And where is it irrelevant?
2: Yeah, part of the issue is that many people have been told, like once you start a medication for your lipids, such as a statin, that you'll be on this for life, right? And so that sets up that expectation and. You know, why are you now coming to me years later telling me it's okay to stop? So it really comes down to understanding the patient preferences. Again, what Andrew mentioned earlier that a medication that was once beneficial and effective for a person as they age and their preferences change and they're more focused on quality of life and maybe not having that muscle pain that we see with statins. So, really, understanding what their goals and preferences are and then approach deprescribing from that angle. Okay.
1: With everything we do, there's a balance. There's a risk and there's a benefit and there we should always take into consideration both sides before making a final decision. And so there's adverse events associated with medications we prescribe or that we give to our patients. But what are the some of the adverse events that are associated with deprescribing? Where are we taking it too far?
3: Yeah, I'm happy to take that one. So, among cardiovascular medications in particular, I think there's very few instances where stopping the medication results in an adverse event that would be worrisome, especially to the family, because the reality is, of course, that you're working with the family and the patient and their clinicians and often trying to make sure everyone is on board and doesn't think that the risk of harm is going to outweigh the risk of the benefit of stopping. But what we do know from the various trials that have been conducted over the last five or so years is that for multi-antihypertensive deprescribing. Generally that's very safe. The one disease state in which there could be some risk is heart failure. For individuals with heart failure when you deprescribe their meds, we've seen from the TRED-HF study that about 44% will have a relapse in their symptoms and need to go back on their heart failure medications. However you can also do the math and realize 56% are able to discontinue successfully with no relapse So really, I think what this means is that we probably need to monitor individuals with heart failure, in particular when we're deprescribing cardiovascular meds. But otherwise, this is pretty safe to do. Okay, so follow up on that
1: then. What classes are safer to deprescribe with CHF more than others? I oh, think I know the answer, but I'm just curious what yours is.
3: Yeah, actually, I'm not sure that the evidence base is fully formed on that yet. We okay. have some evidence coming out, in particular, a colleague, Dr. Goyal, I know, is doing some work in this area, so I think we'll learn more. But based on the data, I don't feel confident enough at this moment to answer that question. Would love right. to hear your thoughts, though.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I always go, I, the way I remember from pharmacy school was beta blockers are kind of the surrogate marker reducer whereas ACE inhibitors are more of the clinically significant reduction of outcomes. So it has the clinically significant outcome of, of keeping that on board. So I would assume that beta blockers would be less important. You could de-prescribe that one more readily than the ACE inhibitor.
3: Yeah, I, I think the evidence may ultimately show that. But yeah, at this yeah. time, I'm not fully confident. Yeah.
1: Okay.
0: And you also mentioned in your presentation the impact of the pandemic on deprescribing. So with the pandemic, there was kind of this force deprescribing protocols in long term facilities. Can you explain that further?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm really excited because although so many horrible things came out of the pandemic, we actually ended up with this very lucky natural experiment to learn more about how deprescribing could be done at a system level. And what we learned is that in response to the pandemic, many nursing home chains actually implemented medication hold policies, which were intended to reduce the administrations of potentially unnecessary medications so that we could conserve critical nursing resources, personal protective equipment, and resources in general. And these medication hold policies, they were not intended to have anything to do with deprescribing explicitly, but they ended up being ad hoc deprescribing initiatives because for a few weeks, individuals' meds were held, sort of like a trial or a temporary sort of trial of deprescribing. And at the end of the hold policy, when there were more resources available, the prescribers in the nursing homes were actually asked if they wanted to just permanently deprescribe the drug. And what we see is that many prescribers said, yes, this has gone well over this medication hold period, this trial has worked out, so let's go ahead and stop the drug. And without the pandemic, these medication hold policies wouldn't have been implemented at the system level. And so this unique opportunity to understand how deprescribing could be done at a system level would have never been possible.
2: And then, so go ahead. Oh, I just wanted to emphasize that the really interesting thing about your study, Andrew, is that there was a long list of medications that were considered unnecessary, and one of them was statins. And they found that there was successful reduction in statins and continued reduction after the whole policy was lifted. Yeah, So that was really you. fascinating.
3: Thanks for pointing out, that's right. So statins and cardiovascular meds were on that list. Some other things you might expect were also there, like multivitamins. Maybe statins, in some ways, were considered more controversial, but the list was vetted by national experts and the national long-term care pharmacy team actually went over the list and also found evidence to support it. So everybody in the chain's leadership was in agreement that that list was quote-unquote potentially unnecessary
1: okay so do you work at long-term care at all i'm
3: just curious so i am now primarily work as a researcher but i do come from a pharmacy background i got my PharmD at rutgers okay. uh, i practice a bit less these days <laughs> a little hard with research but um yeah, yeah. once upon a time i did <laughs> okay.
1: well that's great because we need every we need pharmacists in every every everywhere right so mm-hmm. we're all a team here so Let's just say you're a pharmacist looking at charts today. What advice can you give to some of our listeners on what to look for in an effort to deprescribe some of their, it's just like maybe like a li- little nutshell, like here's some tidbits to look for every time to help deprescribe cardiovascular.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm actually first gonna point people to a really wonderful article that my colleague, Dr. Ashok Krishnaswamy has published in the Journal of the American College of Cardiology on deprescribing cardiovascular drugs. And in that he actually lays out a framework in which he points out several triggers, he calls them, that could be used to initiate deprescribing or identify people who might benefit. And And among those are things you would expect, like polypharmacy. Others include the patient saying that they are willing to have their medications deprescribed or that they feel that they're on too many medications. Now, that's hard to get from a chart, and you specifically asked about the chart. (laughs) So you know, things that are easily measurable, of course, are the number of medications someone is on. But I think at the end of the day, we probably, as pharmacists, need to make the connection between that medication burden and then symptoms and signs that are showing up in the record, like orthostatic hypotension, Complaints about dizziness, inability to engage in activities that matter to them, and Dr. Gray mentioned statins and muscle pain. If we have someone complaining that you know they are experiencing pain when they're trying to do physical therapy or move about, that could be a sign, for example, that we need to take a look at the cardiovascular medications and perhaps consider stopping the statin. I don't know, Shelley, do you have any other thoughts?
2: No, I, I think the triggers that you mentioned are really important. And again, from the chart, it might be hard to glean average drug events not wanting to take so many medications, those are natural entries into starting that conversation with older adults Mm -hmm. to deprescribe.
1: Great, I love that because this is always a point of emphasis for me in my practices, always find more than one reason to do something. If you're just regurgitating data as a pharmacist, you know anybody can go to Drugs.com and get that. But it, you know, for instance, if we're just saying, well, they're on 25 meds, that's too many, so let's just get rid of these ones. Let's look for the rationale of which ones are appropriate to get rid of. And I like that you brought up vitals and also looking at complaints and the progress notes. Those are those are two vital aspects. That now that we have electronic records, it's probably easier to find stuff in a progress note than it used to be. You can use a text search, you can find what complaints they have pretty quickly. And so we have that at our disposal to make sure we're deprescribing the appropriate meds to make sure that they're still safe. So well done. Well said.
0: And then you also mentioned when we start this process of deprescribing, we should also include others in our healthcare team, including a social worker. Can you explain why the social worker is such an important
3: role in this team? Absolutely. Yeah. I think that the importance of a social worker on the team cannot possibly be understated because as we know, as pharmacists, we often have so many responsibilities and so little time. And when you add assessing patients' preferences, goals, and what they think matters most, there's not much time left to do everything that we have to do. Like that preference assessment really takes a lot of time to do well. And so the social worker, I think, is ideally positioned to do that. They have a lot of training skills that makes them exceptionally good at ascertaining preferences and goals and once your social worker colleague does that i think that opens up a number of opportunities to deprescribe because you know there may be information in the chart but i think some of the most important information comes from the patient saying you know these things matter to me and then the pharmacist taking that information and identifying medications that could potentially be deprescribed to actually fulfill those goals of the patient so if, as i mentioned earlier dizziness is like a common complaint and that person says you know i'd really love to like not be dizzy all the time anymore and we see that they're on several medications that are associated with orthostasis. Well, then I think there's a clear opportunity there to deprescribe and actually do it in a way that values what the patient has stated matters most to them. So back to your question, the social worker I think can really help us ascertaining those preferences to guide deprescribing.
0: Very good. And then as a pharmacist, the biggest barrier we have to deprescribing medications is the doctor. Sometimes the doctor does not want to discontinue medications. So how can we as pharmacists address this? And like provide that ration now to discontinue cardiovascular medications.
2: Yeah, I think it's again playing on the the patient's desires and preferences. So if you come to the physician and you say, "Hey, you know this patient is suffering from dizziness, they're also at increased risk for falling." If you bring evidence that's patient-specific combined with the patient's preferences, it makes a more compelling reason for the provider to really take a look at this recommendation and and follow through.
1: Absolutely. And I love that team-based approach, working with the social worker, the physician. I think also it would help to educate the patient in some instances, because sometimes once they learn what the culprit of their problem is, they're going to be on board and the physician won't really... They'll be more inclined to do it if the patient is complaining and saying, I don't want this drug anymore.
2: Well, that is so important. And more and more research is demonstrating that directly demonstrating the benefits to the patient, or I should say, demonstrating the risks of the medication to the patient, that education, that often is what's really important to get the patient on board to Mm -hmm. discontinue some of these medications.
1: Absolutely.
0: Well, I thank you guys so much for joining us today.
1: It was really great to have you guys on and and talk about the cardiovascular deprescribing. So uh, anything else you guys want to say in closing, any little
3: little tidbits? No, I would just say thank you so much for having us. And I just hope over the years that there'll be more and more research and evidence to support cardiovascular deprescribing. And at the end of the day, I think with the evidence that accrues, it's going to remain a team based approach. So hopefully we can just keep incorporating that evidence into our team based practice well
1: said.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you. You're listening to Senior Rx Radio, brought to you by ASCP. Visit us online at ASCP.com slash podcasts. ASCP, empowering pharmacists, transforming aging.